If you will, go ahead and turn my reading Bible from the book of Colossians. I'm a little bit giddy this morning, and I'm going to tell you why. Because this never happens, but I've got a three-point sermon. Three. I got a three-point sermon. I never have three-point sermons. I'm lucky if I get one point, and it's not even that good. But I got a three-point sermon. Jerry said one time that that a Pentecostal sermon was uh, three points in a poem. So I guess mine's Baptist because I've got three points in a scolding. So um, we're going to throw that over there and get started. Guys, I tell you, we had something extremely cool happen to us yesterday. Um, a friend of mine called me and let me know that um, that our airport was going to have some special guests uh, fly in. And um, so me and the boys got in the car, we went over to the airport, and we got there just in time. It's funny because I thought we were going to have church service because half the church was at the airport waiting on these special guests. But um, when we got there, we seen people looking behind us, so I hurried up and get a parking space, drug the boys out, drug them to the, drug them to the tarmac, and um, turned around, and we get to see these four Apache helicopters coming in to land at the airport. For those who don't know what an Apache helicopter is, it's what the Army or Marines or Navy, whoever needs help, it's what they call in when they want something not there anymore. It takes care of it. These are some serious aircraft. But we're sitting there, we're watching them land, and uh, come to find out one of, uh, one of the pilots is actually Daniel's brother-in-law. But I got to share with you what I saw, which was just, man, about made me cry. It was so cool, it about made me cry. Um, Joe had been on training three weeks now, correct? And he hasn't got to see his kids for three weeks, which is, which is tough, tough on our military people. For those who served, y'all know. But I'm sitting there, and all the, all the helicopters finally land, they all power down, the propellers stop, and all of a sudden you just see Joe's kids running to him, and him running back to them. And it was the most beautiful thing I have seen in a long time. And it was in that moment that I'm reminded, you know, that's how much God loves us. No matter how much time we may have away from Him, because let's be honest, He never has time away from us, but we have time away from Him. He is always thankful and glad to see us. He loves to hear from His children. And I was so thankful to be able to have that beautiful reminder and also get to see some pretty cool helicopters too. I'm not going to lie, that was pretty awesome. But uh, Tommy brought in something, and we are going to do it, but I'm only going to do three. What are you thankful for? What are you most thankful for in your life? And I want you to be real right now, okay? I want you to think about it. What are you most thankful for in your life? Yesterday, before we got to go see helicopters, we had picture day. No, I was not. I wasn't thankful for picture day at all. I'm going to tell you what is crazy. We, we went to just go have pictures of the boys, and we got in the car, and we noticed that all of us coordinated, and we didn't mean to. The photographer noticed that all of us coordinated. We were cute, as she said. So um, picture day for the boys turned into picture day for the whole family. But I got to looking back, and we use the same photographer. We use her over and over again. And I got to look back. I got to look back over the years, just the last couple of years. 
And, you know, how I hate to watch them grow up. But at the same time, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for those five years before. The five years before I had the voice. And the reason I'm thankful for those five years before we had the voice is because those were some of the hardest five years of our lives. And it was through those five years that we got to see how good God really is. Now don't try to talk me, because you can't. That one's good. <laughs> but I want three. Three people. What are you thankful for? Who's going to be brave? You ain't got to come get a microphone. The three people. Who's going to be brave? Tommy, you're right. We might be here the next week. <laughs> Brandon, go ahead. Thank you, Brandon. What are you thankful for, brother? Praise God, Brandon. Thank you for being willing to share that. <laughs> two more. I know some of you some of y'all are like, I'll be thankful when these two people stand up and I don't feel the guilt of this right now. Come on, two. There you go, Michael. Come on. Speak loud. And don't cry. I am so Praise God. One more. I know. I know. Y'all be thankful in this one. One more. What are you thankful for, buddy? Stand up in the pew where everybody's sitting. What are you thankful for? Stand up in the pew. Tell them what you're thankful for. I'm thankful for your family. You're thankful for your family. God bless you. I'm thankful for you this morning. That is awesome. Thank you so much. In the book of Colossians, Paul is getting down to the nitty-gritty of who Jesus is. And in the last part of chapter 2, he's wanting to remind us of a couple of things that we really should be thankful for. And a lot of times, guys, you know, it's not that we forget to be thankful. It's not that we just forget to be thankful. It's not that we forget to have gratitude. It's just we're bombarded with so many other things. Sometimes it slips our mind. It slips our mind and we don't intend to do it. And Paul wants to remind the Colossians of a couple of things. And here's my three points. My three points are going to be quick. My scolding is going to be long. So, um, But Paul wants to remind them of these three things. And start with me in verse 8 and we're going to go through this. So verse 8 it says, See to it that no one takes captive through empty philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in Him all the fullness and deity dwells in bodily form, and in Him you have been made complete, and He is the head over 
sorry. He is the head over all rule and all authority. Our world, and even us, and I'm going to do this in a little bit of a way. We'll read a little bit, then we'll talk, and read a little bit, and talk. But our world has a way of minimizing God. You know what I mean? I was watching a um, series one time, and it was a series on scientists and a, a pastor and a couple of theologians. They were, they were debating, and they were debating about many of the miracles in the Bible. Well, one of the miracles that came up was the miracle of the splitting of the Red Sea. And the scientist, you know, he stood up all proper, ready to give his, his dissertation and, and said, well, what people don't understand is there is a portion of the Red Sea that is so shallow that some parts of it are only three inches deep. So crossing the Red Sea would not have been that big of a deal. One of the pastors just lost it. Hallelujah! Praise God! It's a miracle! The scientist was caught off guard. He said, I just disproved the splitting of the Red Sea. He said, I know, but isn't it amazing that God drowned all of Pharaoh's army in three inches of water? <laughs> Amen! And we have a way, we have a way of doing that. He wasn't expecting that one. But we have a way of doing that. We have a way of minimizing God's work. We'll count it off as things like karma, or luck, or superstition. And Paul is warning the people of Colossae, however you say it, I know, Colossae, Colossae, but however you say it, he's warning the people not to fall victim. Not to fall victim of these things that constantly minimize God. Philosophy. Karma is a big thing, even in the church. We talk, we don't mean to say things like it, but we do. People get what they deserve. How many of y'all said that before? Yeah. Yeah. Or you do something in hope of something better in return. How many of y'all have done that before? We don't realize it, but that's actually a philosophy. That's a philosophy of man. And just because we always do something good, or just because something's the bad done to us, doesn't mean that that opposite reaction takes place. That's philosophy. And it's also minimizing the goodness of God. Superstition's another one. We say things like, good luck. We say things like, break a leg. I'm not really sure where that one comes up. I'm worried I'm going to break a leg here one day. But do you realize what we're doing when we do that? Do you understand what superstition really is? Superstition is the belief in a supernatural power that brings about luck, that brings about fortune, or brings about lack of fortune, or lack of luck. And again, this minimizes God. This minimizes how big He is and how good He is. Is it luck that you're here this morning? Is it luck that you woke up this morning? Is it luck 
that I still have hair on my head? They're getting easier for God to count, though, I'll tell you that. No. It's all God's divine appointed nature. And Paul wants to remind the people, be cautious of this, because these are man-made schemes. How about that? Sorry about that. I'm just glad it wasn't my ringtone. It's Christmas vacation for those who don't know. But Paul wants to warn everybody about these man-made philosophies. But he also says something else. He says elementary principles. And if you really translate what he's saying here back to the Greek, you know what he's saying? He's not saying elementary principles. What he's actually saying is childish behavior. Watch out for this childish behavior that things just happen. Watch out for these childish traditions that men have come about. But do we? Or do we just inadvertently go back to it? Remember what I said? We don't intentionally be ungrateful. But sometimes it just slips our mind. I want to ask you a question. And I love the songs that come to pick this morning. And I want you to raise your hand on this. But in your mind, answer this question. Do you know God? Do you know God? Do you know God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Do you know the love that He has for you? The grace that he has given you. The mercy that he has extended to you. Do you know the fullness of who he is? Because Paul even said that fullness is found in a bodily form in Jesus Christ. Do you really know him? For those who do, let me ask you this. What compares to that? What compares to that? Disney World don't come close. I'm going to be honest with you. Being a dad doesn't even come close. Being a husband doesn't come close. Because once we really grab a hold of who God is, how much He loves us and what we deserve, there's nothing that compares to the rich theology, and I know that's a word that we don't really like to hear, but to the rich theology that we have and who God is. And how do we come about it? We come about it through His Son, Jesus Christ, who in bodily form was the full deity of God. How many of us are thankful for that? He goes on, verse 12, or verse 11. In Him you were also circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of bodily flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your trans transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive. Together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, 
having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of the decree, uh, decrees against us, which was hostile, hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Then he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he made the public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as, the, as your judge in regards to food, drink, or in respect to festivals or new moons or Sabbaths, things which are merely shadows of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Jesus. Not only do we need to be thankful for a rich theology that we have, we need to be thankful for a shameless forgiveness that is given to us through Jesus Christ. It's not a word, two words that you hear together a lot, is it? Shameless forgiveness. But I want to explain to you why I'm putting it in that way. We know the riches of God. And in Ephesians 4, or Ephesians 1, 7 through 14, we don't have these scriptures. We're also told of the redemption through His blood. We're told of the knowledge of the mystery of His will. We're told of the message of truth, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the guaranteed inheritance, but we're also told about the forgiveness of our sins. And this time, this still wasn't something that was understood. There were still a lot of practices in those days that people used to do away with their shame. One of those was circumcision. Now for my younger audience, I'm not going to go into great detail about what circumcision is. Here's what I want you to do. When you leave and go to, your, go to lunch with your mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, I want you to ask them what circumcision It'll make for some great table talk. It'll be a great time. And parents, you're welcome. But honestly, circumcision is the removal of undesirable flesh. That is the best way to put it. You know, a lot of us have a lot of undesirable flesh. I've got about 100 pounds of it that I would like to be circumcised of. But in those days, this undesirable flesh was taken away as an act of cleanliness. Not only does he talk about circumcision, he also talked about baptism in there. And baptism was an act of cleansing of filth. You know, the crazy thing about circumcision is, is all of us have this undesirable flesh that we want to get rid of. But the undesirable flesh that was taken away from in circumcision was in a very private place. But at the same time, it's not the most private place of a human body. The most private place of a human body resides in their heart. Because that's where all the real nastiness lies. That's where all those thoughts that you have about your neighbor come up. That's where all those things that pop up in your mind, that's where they reside. That's where that bitterness comes from. And that's where all of this lies. And that is the forgiveness 
or the circumcision that Jesus does in our lives. He removes that undesirable flesh in our heart. Does that mean it happens instantaneously? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Okay. Sometimes it's part of sanctification. God working that about in you. And you want to know when sanctification ends? When glorification begins. And glorification begins when you're with Him. So, any time between now and eternity, you could be dealing with this flesh. But this baptism, this baptism is a cleansing of our flesh. Some theologians say that during this time, there was a practice that was taking place on a weekly basis of what they called continual baptism. This continual baptism was done as a ceremony. A ceremony of people continually being cleansed. And the reason they did this is because they felt like after they had come to the knowledge of who Christ was, that once they committed a sin again, what did they need to happen? They needed to be cleansed again. And what's crazy is this is even taking place today. Brothers and sisters, baptism is a ceremony. I love baptism. I love when we do it right here in front of everybody. But you know, there is nothing holy about that water. I've told y'all this. If that water was not in the baptism, it would be the same water that flushes our toilets. How holy is that? You found it funny. That is the toilet. It's the first time they've listened to me. <laughs> The baptism that he's talking about here is not a baptism like we do. What we do is symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's no power in it to save. There's no cleansing of sin in it. What it is is we are saying that we identify with Christ. We are being lowered into that water as simple dead people. And we are being lied back as a symbol of the death and acknowledging His death for us. But then we are raised back out of the water to the newness of life that we have through Christ Jesus. And what Paul is trying to say here is we have a shameless forgiveness. It's absolutely shameless. But a lot of times our theologies our theologies get mixed up. Because honestly, a lot of times we don't believe that that is really that shameless. Again, going back to the karma. You'll have to answer for that one day. You ever had that thought to you? You know what my grandma used to tell me? Jesus is going to get you. <laughs> Jesus is going to get you. You better watch it. Jesus is going to get you. Let's go back to the rich theology. Jesus already has me. He already got me. And you know what? When God looks at me, and when God looks at you, you know what He doesn't see? 
He doesn't save you. If God looks at you and saves you, guess what? You've got problems. Because according to the theology that we have, we identify with Christ, and Christ identifies with us. So when God looks at us, He sees His Son. He sees that shameless forgiveness. And you know, a lot of times we don't get over this. Because we still live in the guilt. We still live in the blame. But what he's saying here, what Paul is saying to the people of Colossae at this time, is there's a shameless forgiveness. A circumcision doesn't compare to the circumcision of God in your heart. It's a circumcision that's not down with hands. That baptism, it doesn't compare to the washing of the Spirit, the washing of the Word. We have a shameless forgiveness. You know, a lot of times we'll do things out of shame, remorse. What happened? Brothers and sisters, God wants us to do things out of repentance. And repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. <clears throat> true repentance doesn't bring about guilt. True, true repentance brings about freedom. Which is the next thing he brings to them. They have unhindered freedom. Start with making it verse 18. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. If you have died with Christ to elementary principles, childish behavior, remember that, childish behavior, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with with the commandments and teachings of men. What he's talking about here is he's talking about a freedom that we have that a lot of times in our world gets mixed up. Because what I'm talking about here is not a freedom to sin, but a freedom not to sin. Okay? Because a lot of people think that, well, Scotty, you come from Baptist background, so you believe once saved, always saved. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Yeah. I do believe that. I believe that once you are truly regenerated by Christ, and I believe what the Bible says about that, that once you are in God's hands, that no one is able to snatch you out of His hands. My question's always been for those who fall away, were they truly saved? Did they have an experience or did they have a relationship? Because lots of people have had experiences. Experiences where they withheld themselves from certain things. 
Experiences where they try to make themselves right with God. But you know, freedom in Christ is probably one of the hardest things that we can grasp here on this earth. It really is. Going back to those things that I talked about. You're going to answer for that. Or, as my grandma said, that's me What freedom is that? What freedom is there in that? There's no freedom in that. There's no freedom in that. There's nothing but fear. There's things that bind us. There's things that hold us back. If we truly believe but God at His Word, then guess what? My sins are remembered no more. And you know what? It's not only the sins that I have committed, it's the sins that I will unintentionally commit later on in life too. We sin every day, you know that, right? Whether we acknowledge it or not, we sin every day. Do we mean to? No. No. Part of this that we battle with on a daily basis. It's part of this that we are growing in Christ. <clears throat> but all these things, all these things, you'll get what you pay for. Jesus is going to get you. This leads to an attitude that the scripture calls self abasement. Y'all know what abasement is? It's the lower level of your house. <laughs> I had to look it up, I'll be honest with you, I did. Abasement is lowering yourself to another level. That's where we get the word basement. Abasement is you taking yourself and lowering yourself to another level. We have an inheritance. An inheritance that we did nothing to get. That we did nothing to deserve. And that inheritance has been richly given to us. And when we say things like this, we are actually taking ourselves down a level. This isn't healthy. Another way we self-abase is we give ourselves self-humility. You know what I'm talking about? I'm so humble and I just want everybody to know it. That's self-abasement. But these aren't attitudes from God. These aren't attributes from God. The freedom that I have in Christ is not a freedom to sin, but it's a freedom not to sin. Because you know what happens when I do sin now? This little thing right here starts saying, that ain't right. And you know what I feel? I don't feel remorse. I feel repentance. And that's right. <coughs> That's right, God. That ain't right. That ain't right at all. But what's even worse is when this abasement comes from without. Not from within, but from without. And he hit on it real clear here. Don't handle. Don't taste. Don't touch. 
You know what he's talking about here, right? He's talking about unclean foods. He's talking about things that some people said that you shouldn't eat. I'm Baptist, so uh, you'll never hear me don't eat pork. Pork's great. It's low fat. It's about that high off the ground. I love shrimp. Somebody said they're the garbage men of the sea. <laughs> the good little garbage men, ain't they? Mm. I love crabs. Crack them things open. Uh-huh. But when we put these man-made, and again, what does he say? Childish behavior, elementary principles to other people. It's not then self-abasement. It's just destruction of other people. Why do we do it? Why do we do it? Why do we put things on people that we won't even hold up to? Can anybody answer me that? Why do we put standards on people that honestly we couldn't even hold to ourselves? Do we mean to? No, I don't think we do. But at the same time, it goes back to this childish behavior of not understanding the unhindered freedom that we have. And all these other things that we're trying to do with don't do this, don't do that, that's nothing more than behavioral modification. And you know what I found out in my 14 years of ministry, behavioral modification does not do? Behavioral modification never leads to Christ transformation. It doesn't. The only thing it leads to is more rules. More regulations. I have an unhindered freedom in Christ. And you know what's beautiful about that? I don't live up to man's expectations. But I do shoot for his expectations. And I'm going to be honest with you. His expectations are a lot lighter than the church puts on most people. Hard one to swallow there, isn't it? So what happens? What happens? What happens when we do not hold to rich theology? What happens when we don't hold to shameless forgiveness? What happens when we don't hold to unhindered freedom? Well, we have poor understanding, shameful accusations, and forced enslavement. Think about this for a minute. Real theology, shameless forgiveness, and unhindered freedom, you know what those bring about in my heart? Gratitude. Do you know what poor understanding, shameful accusations, and forced enslavement bring about in my life? definition on apathy. Nobody's really got a good understanding of what it is. It's been studied for years and still little is known about it. People don't understand why it happens or what causes it. But let's be honest, at some point in time in our life, every one of us battle with apathy. And it normally shows in three different ways. For some, it shows as laziness. That's how we project it off a lot of times. 
When people are apathetic, they're lazy. But that's not the only way apathy shows off. Apathy, excuse me, apathy also makes itself known. Keep <clears throat> one second. Apathy also makes itself known in a, in a way that you don't care. You know what I'm talking about? When people are so apathetic, they just seem cold to be around. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't battle with laziness. I don't battle with coldness. But I do battle. I do battle on a constant basis with the third way apathy shows itself. And it's just, what's the point? What's the point? I go, I go, I go. Try to be the best dad, fail miserably. Try to be a good husband. I'm a good illustration for how not to be a husband. I try to be a good pastor, still let people down. And in the back of my heart, that little thing creeps in that says, What's the point? You ever been there? Are you currently there? While we don't know exactly what causes apathy, this scripture does give us some insight into how to cure it. And that cure is comprehension of who Christ is. And I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of people say that there's a spirit of apathy in the church today. Brothers and sisters, this isn't the first time that apathy has been in his church. And there's another time that Jesus speaks specifically to a church that is very apathetic. Stephanie, spoil that next scripture. We're going to read this together. This is what Jesus says. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have no need of nothing and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you, and I want you to stay right here, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may know, so that you may become rich. Hang on one second. The church that we're talking about here is the church of Laodicea. You want to know what's funny about this? If you travel 13 miles southwest from Colossae, you will be in Laodicea. It is a neighboring city. Matter of fact, at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul even addresses the church of Laodicea. And he advises them that this is his prayer for all the churches. The Laodicea was a very, very rich place. It was so rich 
that in 60 AD, a huge earthquake hit it and completely destroyed the whole city. The city was so rich that when the Roman Empire came in to help rebuild, they said, we don't need your help, we'll rebuild it ourselves. And they did. They did. They rebuilt it themselves. you got to admire something like that. There's a little bit of American innuendo, in, whatever that word is. Thank you. A little bit of American pride right there, isn't there? They rebuilt it themselves. They thought they were rich. But Jesus tells them right here, I wish that you would buy gold from me. That gold is a rich theology. It's a rich theology in knowing who God is. Because like we said, once you really know who God is, nothing, nothing, not even all the gold in the world, compares to that. Then he goes on to say, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself. The white garments, really not sure how the white garment portion come in, but Laodicea was known for their black wool trade. Matter of fact, this wool was traded all over the world. It was some of the finest wool out there. The sheep in this area, I'm not sure why they grew black, but they grew black. And everybody wanted this because this would be made into clothes. And what do clothes normally do? They clothe your shame. They hide your nakedness. But what Jesus is saying to the church of Laodicea is simply this. My white garment is shameless forgiveness. And then he goes on to say, and the shame of your nakedness will be <clears throat> will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Laodicea was also known for its medical advancements. Matter of fact, they say that there was an eye salve that was made there that can't, starts with a P and running. We'll try to say it. But it did help relieve blindness in some instances. And Stephanie was talking about it this morning talking about a friend of hers who has grown blind. You know what blindness is? It's enslavement. Can you imagine it? Can you imagine not being able to see? Can you imagine the hindrance, hindrances that blindness brings? You wouldn't be able to drive. Can't read. Can't see your wife. You can't see your husband. You can't see your kids. But at the same time, what Jesus is talking about is an unhindered freedom of seeing who Jesus really is. Brothers and sisters, the church of Laodicea got this letter too. These letters just yeah, they're written in specific churches, but they were shared. They read this. So why didn't they hate it? Because they were good. I got this. We're good. 
Thanks God, but no thanks. And a lot of people will say something, and this bothers me. They'll say, God was done with the church of Laodicea. Then this next scripture is a lie. Go on. Behold. Nope. One more. Back one. Painting. Oh, sorry. You were right. I was wrong. Those whom I love, I repeat and prove. Discipline, and therefore be zealous and repent. 20. Behold. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Now going by that scripture, is Jesus dealt with the church of Laodicea? No. He just told him to be zealous and repent. Repent of what? Repent of their thought that I'm good. I got this, God. Thank you, but no thanks. 21. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me and my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear. The Spirit says to the churches. Laodicea is a church that has a rich history. And it's not a history that you'll read about in the Bible. It's a history that you've got to dig into. But in the early 300s, Laodicea became the meeting place of a council. The purpose for this council coming together was they were wanting to take all of the writings that they had and they wanted, to determine, they wanted to determine with God's guidance what was real and what was counterfeit. So they took all of these writings and they started sorting left and right. <coughs> Through God's guidance and Laodicea is when they started canonizing the Bible that you have in your hand. <coughs> Jesus said, I know your deeds. Did Laodicea have good deeds? You better believe it. Now sure, the Bible wasn't fully canonized till later, till 368. But that's where it started. So what happened? What happened? Apathy. Apathy crept in. And I <coughs> robbed them of their gratitude. The rich theology they have in Christ. It robbed them of the shameless forgiveness that they were given through Christ Jesus. And it completely blinded them to the unhindered freedom that they have because of Jesus. And then some of you are sitting here thinking, man, this is a hard year to be thankful. I'm 
seen a lot of death over this year. We've seen a lot of uncertainty. We've seen a lot of families split over pretty childish behavior. And here we are approaching Thanksgiving, and some of us, some of us are struggling. Scotty, what do I got to be thankful for? The rich theology. Shameless forgiveness. And unhindered freedom. That's what we got to be thankful for. Father, I'm just sitting here thinking about the song, the last song I was sung before I got out. And the truth is, Lord, you are so good. You're so good to me. And Father, right now, I repent. I repent of all my lack of gratitude. And a lot of times, Lord, it's, it's, not, it's not me forgetting to be thankful. Sometimes when I've got my world so worked out that I've got it in such a place that sometimes I forget how much I need you. We come before you declaring this. We need you. 